From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Today, we're joined by Japigo's Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer, Dr. Pandora Hartman, who has worked around the world to advance equitable access to quality maternal health care in numerous countries and across four continents. Her global experience and numerous leadership roles have given her a unique perspective and platform. Dr. Hartman continually works to raise awareness and inspire action for all women and families, regardless of where they live, increasing their access to life-saving health care. This is a mission close to nurse practitioners everywhere. I encourage you to listen carefully and be inspired as she shares the importance of seeking opportunity, building resilience, and meeting global health needs. As nurse practitioners, we make a meaningful impact on the health of our patients and with just a simple mind shift or incremental change, we can transform our own practices and positively impact healthcare delivery on a global scale. Welcome to the podcast, Pandora. I'm excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much, April. Happy to be here. And as one of those women who loves podcasts in between everything else, this is fantastic opportunity. Absolutely. I'm the same way. And I have just been so looking forward to speaking with you. I know we've tried to do this for several months now. So super excited, not only for us to have a conversation today, but for all of our listeners to really engage and hear a lot more about you and and what you do, because you are doing so much uh, these days. So first, let's just talk a little bit more about you, um, kind of how you became interested in nursing and and leadership and and certainly leadership on a global scale. I think that's quite the story. So tell us more. Well, it's funny to think about because I, I look at myself as totally one of those accidental leaders. If you had asked me, like, no, I just always imagined I would take good care of women and babies, you know, and that's what <laughs> I thought was was out there. So it's funny how you just follow the path and don't say no. Um, okay. So to opportunities as they present, I think that's how that sort of happened. And I think one of, I think of an early patient in my career when I was an orthopedic nurse at the time and how, you know, we all have those patients that impact you. I'm a night nurse all the way. Give me okay. night anytime over days. And, you know, you're sitting with somebody and the wee hours and sitting with them as he was passing on um, to his next journey. And he had been one of the most cantankerous old gentlemen ever, you know, like everybody hated going into his room. No one could stand him. He cussed and fussed at everybody. And just like that art of presencing and being with him. And I remember he said to me, young lady, 
I wish I had done it all differently. And I had taken every opportunity that I could have taken because now here I am with a ton of money and no happiness. And I will never forget that. Wow. You know, Archie White's as a brand new baby nurse. I was always headed to midwifery, but like, you know, many of us nursing is that pathway. And he just stayed with me forever. So I'll never forget him and the impact that he had just about being open to opportunity. And embracing every moment. Wow. Wow. So so you were an orthopedic nurse. Now, did you start out in orthopedic nursing? Yes, I knew I was headed to midwifery from the very beginning. I'm being born and raised in a place where nurse midwifery was kind of, it's the core. You know, it still remained the core of women's healthcare. I just kind of knew I was on that circuitous path to get there and using sort of basic med surge as a grounding and a way to, you know, help pay for midwifery school because it is not cheap um, as, as many. And so that was why I wind up doing ortho, you know, do something different in the meantime. Right, right. Well, a lot you can learn as an ortho nurse. I mean, how how important mobility is and all of those things. Um, so so midwifery, that's kind of that's that was your pathway from the beginning. So where did you practice as a midwife? Well, that's kind of funny. The joke I often say is I've done this midwifery stuff on four continents plus a couple of other things in between. But my journey actually started in California. Um, okay. At the University of California, Los Angeles back there and their their joint program. So we did a lot of I think maybe that kind of set me up in some ways for what I'm doing now, because as a student uh, that thrown into an environment where English was not the primary language and it's kind of like sink or swim, baby. There you go. You okay. know, so I can see myself now with my cheat sheet of all the Spanish phrases, having had zero exposure to Spanish growing up and taking good care of, of women and just learning again, that presencing again. And there's nothing like immersion therapy to fix this language barrier. <laughs> That's true. So, okay. So in California, but you said four continents. What is that? I am actually, you know, as we talked often about nurses migrating everywhere, being body, and that was actually my path um, to working in the U.S. I came in originally in on a scholarship for, for okay. nursing school and then kind of went back to practice and then came back during kind of one of the last aspects of nursing where there was a shortage and they were doing the whole green card thing. So that double experience of kind of being the immigrant while being trained here while migrating and coming back. So it's it's been an interesting journey. Wow. So you've practiced midwifery in several countries now. Wow. Wow. Living and working in in, um, Africa and Southeast Asia, as well as the Caribbean countries and a little bit in South America. And again, that wherever the wind takes you for opportunity, don't say no, stay open. And because what I found is that women were more alike than we're different. And, you know, the language of our reproductive health care transcends everything. Yes, that is so true. As I've had conversations with you and others uh, on an international level, that is, we do, so much of what we do is so similar. And, and language can be a barrier, but when we do, we find that we are very much alike in our practice. And I'm, I'm already learning more about you that we're actually alike. I love night shift as well. I loved med surge sir, uh, nursing. So, um, so, okay, so midwife working in several different areas. So um, now you're much more involved in leadership. So you've had a long, illustrious career as a nurse, as a midwife, taking these practices across the globe. 
And, and so now you're very much involved in leadership. So you, you described that earlier moment when you had that pivotal moment with that pay, with your patient where you realize I'm not going to let anything go. I'm going to embrace all opportunities that come my way. But there must have been other pivotal marks along the way, and especially one for you to make a step into leadership. So we're all leaders, but I think when you're talking about, you're talking about really elevating the practice of nursing as a leader. So tell us more about that. Well, I can think of a few interesting things that's happened, you know, with my being an immigrant into the U.S. and embracing it as my adopted home, um, I've always chosen to work in low income, socioeconomically diverse populations, you know, a lot of immigrant women. I remember us having a map in one of our call rooms where we could put a pin on it. And, you know, we were taking care of women from sort of all over the globe, particularly in what some referred to as the anchor babies. Um, that used to be a huge thing, women coming over from other places to have their babies in America, you know, and be grounded. Oh, mm-hmm within America. And I found that working from the East Coast to the West Coast. So my goal was just kind of taking good care of women, you know, reducing those C-section rates, introducing water birth and, you know, group care and all that good stuff. Uh, But then there was a moment where I realized that a lot of the decisions that were being made for our practice Mm -hmm. were not being made by us. You know, particular for those populations of concern, they were being made by a lot of times the MPHs who didn't have sort of that grounding and what was going on and stuff wasn't making a whole lot of sense to me, you know, and then Mm -hmm. also that realizing too of the financial impact you know, of what we're doing, we're so, we're so often, we used to be considered, it's just still a struggle now, as a cost and not a system's benefit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that kind of shifted me. I was like, girl, you are being naive. Get with the bigger plan, you know, get with the program. And that's actually what sent my path back to school. You know, I had been doing a lot of policy work within the associations. You know, I'm a firm believer in the power of, you know, our associations. We often hear so much about school, right? Just the education mm-hmm. process, but looking at associations for life you know, that is your life. So also, you know, simultaneously doing a lot of the policy level work with associations and being like asked to testify, you know, on certain things and, you know, learning Mm -hmm. a whole different sort of skill set alongside and really saying, you know, hmm. I'll never forget the ACNM, you know, one of those first times the American College of Nurse Midwives asking me to speak um, at something. And I was like, well, I don't know what to say to like the, um, national black Congress folks, but okay, mm-hmm. well, um, folic acid, I can talk about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that again, just not, so, not saying no. And that I'll never forget that folic acid to our speech that led into a full, like five days of engagement and really seeing the impact of health policy and not even really, huge policy at that point, but realizing how much our lawmakers actually did know about the basics of what we do, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. really being able to feed some of that basic core information, not during that, just during that Congress, but for years to come. And I was like, wow, it's not just about having on your scrubs. Right, right. So these were sort of weird, accidental paths again that led me into some of this other sort of leader leadership roles. Okay. Okay. So you 
very distinct educational pathway. And then you um, had these moments where you said, okay, I'll step up. And then you did, and it opened up another big opportunity. And you thought, I'm really interested in this. And I can really speak in terms of health policy. And and people want to listen. And the legislators need to hear from us. Um, as nurses, and, and, and Pandora, you do a wonderful job of lifting up other nurses um, into leadership and encouraging others that they can do this. And um, you and I actually uh, crossed paths, I think we were at the American Academy of Nursing the first time I met you. And you told me about an association that you're with, Jipaigo. Am I saying that right, Jipaigo? So briefly uh, share with us just what is exactly uh, Jipaigo? Jipaigo. People often have trouble saying that, so you are not alone. You know, like, what? what is that, Jipaigo? Well, at Jipaigo, the model is saving lives, transforming healthcare. And what Jipaigo does is something that a lot of nurses don't even realize exist. Most people are familiar with like mission models, you know, mission models where you go and do a couple of weeks of volunteer, but that's not what mm-hmm. Jipaigo are. We are a health system strengthening organization. It's a global non-governmental organization. So we do a lot of hands-on implementation and program design all over the world. Our last impact, I believe, was that Jipaigo had touched over 140 countries globally. So wow. we had, yeah, so you know, functioning as their chief nursing and midwifery officer. We're in a lot of these core countries. We have our offices set up. So we work alongside the ministries of health. Um, We work alongside the schools and associations and systems. So we do a lot of implementation, implementation for not just some of the United States government funding as well, but also some philanthropic donors, you know, such as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, some also outside donors in terms of other countries. We are kind of boots, eyes and ears on the ground for everyone. So it's fascinating. Never two days alike. Wow. So so today we're talking, we're speaking uh, with nurse practitioners largely. That's our audience uh, that are tuning in. And so I really found a connection, and not only because we're all advanced practice nurses, uh, you being a midwife, me being a nurse practitioner, but there is really a common thread there. And um, so, and we're all nurses. So in your perspective, just share your wisdom and why is it so important for us to lift and empower nurses and nurse leaders internationally? Because we are all part of that core. You know, we are that core. We are that backbone of the system. You know, and our job is helping people to, well, as I see it, you know, find their voice, whatever that may look like, and understanding that the voice may not look or sound like your voice, you know, particularly Mm -hmm. giving the different politics and professions and all that um, that are involved. Think of a lot of what we do as midwives, just that simple art of being present, being there, being steady. It doesn't even necessarily mean saying anything, just being that art. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I often talk about the the art of doing nothing well. Right. Just sitting, being, honoring, you know, whatever the spirit of that person is. And I do think that is really what brings out our inner leadership, whether it be leadership at the bedside or leadership on the petrifying global scale, because it can be really mm-hmm. scary. Um, 
and just hearing the voice of the people. So just being, being present and feeling others' presence. So you've met so many people all across the globe and, 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 and have had these conversations with so many and have mentored and coached and helped others to find their voice. Can you share with us any examples, any stories that our listeners might be interested in hearing? There's been some scary times with when you realize my job is to plant the seeds, right? Mm -hmm. But when you plant a seed, you don't know whether the wind's going to carry it somewhere or whether it's going to grow somewhere else. You just don't really know what's happening with that. You know, so on the one hand, there are some amazing stories. Um, I was privileged to help bridge the first registered nurses to registered advanced midwives in an active conflict in Syria. And so guiding them through that process, you know, that core competency that has a lot to do with public health and like social reproductive justice and all of that stuff. And I wake up in the morning because, you know, you use WhatsApp, forget this normal telephone stuff, like WhatsApp is the way to go. And so I wake up and I need you to imagine women holding up placards marching and protesting. So I wake up and this is on my phone. I'm pinging, getting pings of the pictures of them protesting. And what are they protesting? They were protesting the fact that they, now that, you know, this program had gone through, yes, they wanted to have um, advanced practice nurses and midwives at the helm, but the way the job descriptions were written, it was only for physicians. So they had taken it upon themselves to, in the middle of an active war zone, their stuff flying overhead, their women, they're considered to be, depending on, you know, how you look at it, some of the rebels or the this. So there's a real threat of ISIS and they're out there, Dr. Pandora, look. And literally it's like 530 in the morning and I'm ill. I'm ill. Like, because for these women, it meant death. It could potentially mean death and they knew it and they still embraced it and were willing to stand up because I like you said, you know, you help to empower us and we're going to stand for what we believe. And it doesn't matter what happens to us because we know you will tell our stories. How do you respond to something like that, April? Like you're (laughs) like, oh my God, I am so guilty. I feel horrible. Like this is my... (gasps) But yes, ladies, congratulations. You're doing great. Follow your heart. So that realizing in what we do, particularly in global health, the environment that there can be a life cost, that in America, we just don't have that same level necessarily of appreciation for, like a true life cost, their families, their, oh my God. Every, everything. Yeah. So there's a whole nother, uh, another side to this that like goes far beyond just, well, not having supplies and equipment, but understanding when you scatter those seeds, they can grow. Right. Just amazing when you talk about the life cost. And, you know, there's so many, so nurse practitioners, are, that's a pretty common term in the United States. But across the world, we're often referred to as advanced practice nurse, a lot of different terms. And in many cases, the nurse is the midwife, is the nurse practitioner, is the only provider in their community for hundreds and hundreds of miles. And in those cases where you've planted that seed, they're standing up and they're providing care to their family, their friends, everybody in that community. 
that would have not otherwise had care. It's amazing. Completely amazing. And just seeing the impact even of that word nurse practitioner, when we look, you know, particularly the advent of how um, HIV rolled out. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the early days and looking at the true impact of uh, at Chipago, they did an amazing job with putting in some of the HIV nurse practitioners, for example, in, in some of the Southern African countries and raising like the awareness of a whole new catter, you know, and seeing how that took over and the huge impact, you know, that can happen when you push nursing, not just because of the needs, you know, but then also providing the skills and the training, pushing it to the next level of what is possible, what could be. Um, And so really trying to tease out the issues of autonomy and independence, where, as you mentioned, there's a lot of independent decision making that goes on at the primary care level um, that under what some of us would consider to be really challenging most of us I think circumstances mm-hmm. no water mm-hmm. no lights no none of that stuff <laughs> every time I'm in practice stateside I just kind of stare at the supply closet and say wow <laughs> we got stuff an abundance abundance and how much do we really need so you know I always look at opportunities as well looking at that cross to cross learning because maybe we could actually be taught a few lessons in these advanced roles about minimalism what is it that you really need right Right. to give care what about our diagnostic capabilities right like I was in India a couple of months ago working because in India there's another project where we're building the first cadre of nurse practitioner midwives okay um, in the country and so we have some like international midwives hired to kind of help us with that you know looking at the women's health nurse practitioner crossover pieces okay so the interesting part is the diagnostic skills a whole discussion that I had with that group when we were orienting them because anemia okay anemia is a thing we still know that postpartum hemorrhage is kind of one of the number one global killers of women, you know, across the world, whatever continent you're in, but anemia. So it's like, okay, you know, I was taught and they're like, well, we're, they they were mostly British, this particular batch that I was interfacing with. Well, we're going to order some labs. Yeah, no, actually, no, no, (laughs) no, actually that's not going to work out because we may not have the lab. We probably don't have the reagent. We don't know about the cost paying for that. What happened to our our skills, our assessment skills? skills. What about the pallor? And they're kind of, they were kind of looking at me like, huh? I was like, okay, let's get out of our mindset. Those were basic sort of diagnostic stuff that was still with us. Are we pinching skin turgers still? You know, some of those basics, basics were you may never get a CBC, but right. what else have you got to, to look at that potential for anemia? And it was, I, that day was kind of funny because they were like, yeah, huh, right. Uh-huh. Pull out your Bates assessment book, everybody, right? Back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm having an eye-opening moment right now because that's what I do. I think what labs are needed, what diagnostics are needed, you know, what you know, where are we gonna go to develop our differentials? And then you've brought up a very good point. That is just not easily accessible for millions. There's Four million plus nurses in the United States. There's 355,000 nurse practitioners. There are millions of nurses across the globe. We're a very unique type of healthcare provider, and we're working everywhere. We're taking care. We're taking 
care to the patient, wherever they might be, wherever they might live. And we're figuring out how to pull together what is needed to provide that care. And you've just provided such a wonderful example. And sometimes it just comes down to our basic assessment skill. That's mm-hmm. just, and I, I just- we gone too far from that? Again, like flipping both sides of the practice, like have we gone so far into the wide world of EMR and digitization Right. that back to base actually needs to be more of a core. And, you know, if we look at, my global perspective as I, you know, global to local working in rural parts of the South, some of the issues are the exact same. Wasn't it the other day they had that cholera like in Mississippi and the Delta region? Like some of it is the same. The finances are the same. You know, the things that we should perhaps maybe force ourselves to look at Mm -hmm. more intensively. Like, are we ordering the $80 Zofran pill or the $2 Fenergan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are we even thinking about that kind of stuff as we are not only assessing, but then going on, you know, if there is a prescription or like, are we really thinking about those other pieces? And I don't know that we all are. I love the term global to local. And I think about how many countries you've been in, you've worked with so many nurses across the globe and, and so many include nurse practitioners and, 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 you know, as I think about the different things that are happening in so many countries, I mean, just the circumstance, we don't even know, I don't even know, just being here, sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, um, what's happening just across the globe. But one thing that we did share, and we still are sharing, is this worldwide pandemic, COVID-19. And I mean, it has affected everyone. And again, abundance in some places of testing and vaccinations, others, they're just trying so hard to get um, get vaccinations um, that are so much needed. You were very engaged uh, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you share a little bit more about what you were doing? Well, COVID was an interesting experience. I think there's a, there's a couple of stories to be told out of COVID. You know, there's a one for those of us who do global health, public health. In some ways, we kind of smiled on the side and had separate conversations while everybody was freaking out. We were like, welcome to our world. Mm-hmm. Welcome to that level of uncertainty, of schedules changing, of nothing being certain. Welcome to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know it can sound a little harsh, my saying that, but literally welcome to death because that, you know, it's almost on the other side, being closer to death, closer to that reality, you will have patients die for better, for worse. And were we, these are the questions as nurses, nurse practitioners, all our whole APR, were we so insulated from this and our models that preserve life at all costs, right? Mm -hmm. That we actually did not, have the coping skills. So I look at the resilience of the colleagues that we were still actively working with outside of America, from Africa to Asia and beyond. I think there are lessons in resilience that we could have learned and that we're still learning because they had more, the ability to adapt perhaps without stuff. Right. So COVID's been 
a wild ride, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to being grounded, you know, as in not able to travel and out and doing a lot of that frontline care as I'm still on, on staff with privileges getting called to come into the hospital and knowing what that felt like to literally have no PPE. Now, what's interesting about that, because, you know, as we talk to the APRN, like everyone's like their own practices, right? We know there's a lot Mm -hmm. of practice building. So, right, this is what we do. So this was a case where if you can imagine um, a facility setting where more than 80% of the deliveries are by individually owned APRN practices. Good stuff, right? You'll say we did a great job. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, yay, good care. Good. Well, the reality of the hospital system saying, well, y'all don't work for us. So you're not actually eligible for any of this PPE. Wow. Yes, ma'am. I see your eyes. Mm-hmm. Light up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, what should you people talking about? What you mean? We're not like without these practices, there would be nothing happening. They're like, um, well, sorry. Whoa. So, you know, recognizing they're the, again, the multiple levels to what all of this brought to light in terms of access and accessibility and that those APRN practices continue to provide care and kind of group together. And we, you know, we all figured out a way to get PPE, but I remember being really upset. That's putting it right. like, how could you people, you know, you start making phone calls. Well, I'm going to call the next person and I'm going to call the next person. And I'm going to, what are they saying that, you know, you're not eligible because we still got to run this OBED triage. We're still taking care of the fascinating lessons all around wow. about what access means. And you had seen, you see these mass systems working well in other parts of the country because they have been in place for a long time, the mass vaccinations, being making sure that there were supplies available for everyone, even the people that were connected to the system, but not very, you know, in the system. Um, I thought it was really fascinating what you just said, because you brought a lot of experience because you've been doing this for a long time. So I can see why so many called upon you and your organization to really come in and help us get our arms around COVID-19 here and how we could treat on a large scale and in such high volume and with limited resources. But one thing that you brought up too is how do you bring in that concept of resilience? Because what I saw in my own hospital is we saw more death than we had seen before. And with this new and unexplained virus, and it was hard. And you did not have time to grieve uh, going from one patient to the other. And that's been really hard on a lot of nurse practitioners to, to such a degree that some have moved to different types of jobs, or they've changed their job in some way. Some have left the profession altogether. And yet you speak of, of um, internationally as a nurse, as a nurse leader, this is something that you've learned along the way, that how do you experience death? How, how do you help families and loved ones through this process? That really is a, a skill in many ways. There's an art to it. And, and that's one open gap that was exposed um, quite a bit during the pandemic. So as we t- 
talk about things like this, and we talk about nurses, nurse practitioners, advanced practice nurses, nurse midwives across the globe. We've talked about some similarities. We've talked about the language barrier and how that, uh, how do you, how do you address that when you're in different countries and working with patients? And we've talked about some similarities, but what are some differences that you've seen in nurses in different parts? Are there differences? There is a lot of key differences. I, I think some of which professionally now we're beginning to come to grips now, perhaps more in America as we look at the, you know, the baby boomers right down to the Gen Xers as in there's oftentimes this altruism, this halo, right? Around nursing and you're going into it for the greater good, right? And mm-hmm, woo, mm-hmm, you got mm-hmm. this. well, um, reality is it's not that way for everybody sometimes this is a dictate based upon it was it was like this for us you know your secondary school exams your entrance exams when you're like 11 12 dictated your pathway so we got to look at, I think at it differently for what's keeping nurse so we can approach it just with happiness and joy like oh it's just altruism because I do wonder um if that's kind of some of the stuff too that's keeping us back professionally right Versus kind of being maybe a little bit more clear cut about good care and good quality of life issues, you know, that perhaps bring resilience. And I'm not saying it's perfect because I think this is something that every country is struggling with, like that perfect balance of like work, life, payment, stuff like that. But I don't know, it makes me question. I, I What I do find, I think, being out there is the more you see, the more shades of gray I do see. And that makes some of these dilemmas even more challenging to work through so that's really interesting so there's there's different pathways some are chosen some are assigned different types of education levels of education um, depth and breadth of education generalist education versus specialty standards regulations it it can vary it does exactly it varies and i think our realization that we often The nationalistic approach can like, well, this is we're struggling with, you know, let's just I'm hearing discussions now about the return of the LPN. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like oh, that we're not unique, whether she's an enrolled nurse or she's an auxiliary nurse or whatever they're calling it somewhere else. There is these same sort of struggles with pathway, with scopes, with cadres that are created and or not supported with differing levels of education. And I really think our embracing and realizing those similarities would make us stronger. So speaking about that, how do we collaborate um, more on an, so, so nurse practitioners, um, our, our group, our listeners here, how do we get more involved? How do we collaborate? How do we get more involved on a national level? I look at a lot of the skills that I learned for global health were grounded and rooted right here, you know, at home, at home in the South. So the advocacy piece of it is huge right? Huge. Learning, you know, those basic advocacy, getting out there, health teaching skills, small group, large group, you know, I tend to see generally a lot more of that going, that teaching sort of beyond the bedsides. Mm -hmm. You know, that larger scale public health management, you know, the public health community health piece is often sort of that tack on add on, whereas it's a core looking at what can you do at home that translates to the larger scale. Hmm. Let's think about this. What's happening today? How am I dealing with those 
perhaps Medicare, Medicaid patients who don't speak English, mm-hmm. right? How culturally aware, culturally sensitive am I being to their needs? What resources are out there? You know, starting by asking some of these base level questions, get really good at what we're doing. I mentioned the assessment skills earlier, right? I mentioned right. assessment, advocacy, public health, volunteering your services, coming into embracing the value that our sisters and brothers outside bring to us as well as we give to them. So approaching your involvement as not a unilateral conversation of us just giving back, but what are we open to receiving? To say that we are the best at everything. We're really good mm. at some stuff, but also learning we um, we actually got a few things to learn too and coming in and bringing it your way is not necessarily the best. Get involved again by doing nothing but being present. So like this, that's kind of some of the bigger, broader stuff, I think, with involvement. But then there's like some really functional stuff, like, you know, getting in there and donating or when they're looking for volunteers for different stuff, getting in, offering your expertise, mentoring, matching, you know, stuff like that. Those are almost easier for, you know, the nurse practice to tap into than really embracing that that whole systems approach and going in two toes first. And I firmly believe as well that short engagement is not the way to go. Personal bias, I admit it. And, you know, that's part Mm -hmm. of why I choose to work as we do work, going in to really get to know the people and the systems and the engaging in another way of thinking. Right. So being culturally aware, everything that we do is not the right way. Everybody doesn't do everything the same way that we do. So being very um, respectful of cultures, communicating, being, spending time, really better understanding. I love this concept of presence and being. Um, There's a lot that can be said without words. And so just being open to learning um, and communicating, reaching out and collaborating. I think there's nothing, for me, having um, friendships with my colleagues in other countries has been one of the most eye-opening things for me. I've been so grateful and humbled of how much I've learned as a nurse practitioner um, from my colleagues that practice around the world. So now there are things we can do bigger um, in terms of innovation and partnerships with, with, with government agencies, with corporations, with acad- academic institutions uh, when it comes to global health. So how are we as advanced practice nurses uniquely qualified for that uh, type of collaboration? across the globe? Well, we are uniquely qualified by way. I do think one of the strengths that we can pull upon is the solid educational system. You know, a solid, well-rounded educational system. If I I turn it back to midwifery in particular, you know, um, nurse midwives and APRNs, WHMPs in the U.S. do a lot of the family planning GYN stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That is really, really core to what we bring into our work, you know, into into the, the global arena, which is a little different because although we may hear about better outcomes in Europe, 
they don't necessarily do the FPGYN stuff without a separate additional training outside of midwifery. So I, I think in, in terms of what we bring strongly, we do bring that education, the core competencies, we really are able to elucidate those and teach those very well um, and very strongly. I think that is a major strength that we have. Um, some of the, the core skills, I know we bring that to the table. Our ability, because we do have the freedom of voice, you know, in a different way being, you know, in a, a large democracy. So being able to also demonstrate and role model what voice and choice could look like with the understanding that voice and choice may not manifest in the same way, but just the very fact that we can, right? Right. And 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 looking at those examples of what could be, does that make sense? In terms of, I do know that the political piece, the policy, the advocacy, the educational piece, the core skills we do bring very strongly, you know, I would encourage everyone, yes, to partner up, you know, where you can, where they're, they're always looking for teachers. You right. know, we've got the global shortage. There's a global shortage of educators, right? One piece kind of leads to another. What are even some of the short courses that everyone needs to do all the time that you could teach perhaps and teach really well and refresh really well to bring into, into a global health environment? What can our associations do? Right. I asked that back to our uh, association, the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, we're a member-driven organization. Um, most of our, re our programs, our um, resources, our supports come from members. And this is exactly one of those things is how can we partner together and, and, and work more on a global scale. Well, I have just so enjoyed uh, speaking with you today. I just learn so much from you every time we interact. And I just um, am and grateful. Do you have any parting thoughts to share with NPs as we wrap up today? Just supporting each other, no matter where we are in our career path and finding your sisters of the spirit. There's a lot of strength in that. Well, thank you so much, Pandora. It's been a delight to speak with you today. And I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed it. And I just, it makes me want to go, to go out, meet, get involved, get involved internationally, connect with others, um, because that is truly, we are part of one of the best professions that we can reach so many and we have so many opportunities. And I'm hoping to see many of the listeners now seeing more USA flags on like the WHO Global Alliance for Nursing and Midwifery and the community of practice that they've started. That's a great way. Simple. Click and connect. Right. So I want to see yep. more of us on these things. Okay. <laughs> well, it's been great to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you kindly. Take good care. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Pandora, and thank you to all who are listening. One takeaway I want to note from this conversation is the monumental impact nurses can make on healthcare delivery through leadership. AANP offers a variety of resources and continuing education options to help you strengthen your leadership skills and experience. The AANP Introductory Certificate on Leadership course is currently available to AANP members in the AANP CE Center. This 12-module course is a prerequisite for the AANP Executive Leadership Program, 
which helps prepare NP leaders to succeed as healthcare executives. Now, if you're interested in academic leadership opportunities, consider completing the AANP Educational Leadership Certificate course, which is also available in the AANP CE Center. Now, one of the most impactful ways for NPs to continue our leadership journey is by attending the 2023 AANP National Conference, June 20 through 25th. This conference is a great place to meet new colleagues, build your professional network, and earn more than 30 hours of continuing education credit. I hope to see you all in New Orleans this June. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm.